Did you get a recording notification? Yeah, it's recording. Okay, good. Episode two of Soccer Situations. Um, I'm Todd. I'm Alex. And um, we're about to spill a load of shit. Um, <laughs> so our recording schedule as a new podcast, surprise, surprise, got pushed back a little bit. Um, I had had in the notes predictions for the Community Shield. Now instead we can react to the Community Shield. Um, did you watch all of it? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It was a hell of a game, right? It was. It was. It, it felt like a good opening for the season. Like that was like how it should be. It it really did. Um, you could tell in the tunnel, Henderson was doing his, his, I don't know, his boy scout thing of just squaring <laughs> his jaw up and not looking at anybody. Uh, only Tiago really was kind of messing around in the tunnel and they yeah. got out there and it was all business from, from the jump. It was really awesome. Yeah. It was, it made it really fun to watch. You could tell those two teams really wanted to size each other up. Like Absolutely. that was like they wanted to put it one or the other in a place. And I'd say Liverpool came out on top in that battle pretty uh, clearly. Yeah, I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself. Um, a couple of things like, yeah, they both took it really seriously. I think because at this stage in the rivalry, I kind of think neither team can afford to ever like d- take a day off against the other, even in it's a so called friendly. Yeah. Um, they just, you know, they're, they're just rivals and yeah, they, they're not going to go easy on each other, no matter the circumstances. But having said that, um, even though city were having a go, uh, it has to be said that I think Liverpool at that time had played twice as many friendlies. So we're further ahead in our preseason development, but, um, I think the total tally in the end is we're going into the season with twice as many friendlies under our belt. So the the two clubs are just taking slightly different approaches to the preseason. It looks like, yeah, um, Pep's Pep's given his squad a little more rest. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Um, where we've got some new players we need to bet in, not that they don't, but, uh, yeah, you know, they've got the depth to, um, kind of bed them in more slowly, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, it was a super fun game. Um, all of the kind of, if you're superstitious, the omens of uh, what I want to see this season kind of happens. Um, we dominated them for long periods of time. We looked really, really assertive. I didn't want to use the word dominated because statistically it really doesn't look that way. Yeah. And, um, but we were, we were on top for a lot of that game. Um, yeah. Salah looked back to his old self. He looked like razor sharp. Um, of course, uh, you know, the tale of two strikers situation we have going, uh, Darwin got a goal, um, uh, caused a lot of trouble. Uh, he also won a penalty and Holland missed a couple sitters. Um, 
So I want all of that to be, you know, portent of the season to come. But yeah, it's, it's unlikely. It's hard uh, to say it will be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's nonsense, really. They look uh, like disjointed, though, for sure. Like you could tell they weren't as far along in the process as you guys are as far as getting Holland into the system and playing with him in a way. Right. It's, it seemed like they couldn't quite find him. Him and De Bruyne were having words a bit. Uh, yeah, I was going to say De Bruyne had an off game and I think, yeah. you know, he's their player where if he has an off game, they all sort of do. Um, he makes that team tick for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, but I wanted to go back to Holland for just one sec. Uh, I saw enough of him to still be afraid. The fact is he was getting in tons of dangerous positions. He had at least three chances. He probably will put away in the future. So yeah, he's going to be dangerous this year. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Costa Simicas held the charity shield. Like it was a gladiator shield and like held a sword <laughs> over the top of it. Yeah. And I instantly thought this trophy's 10 times cooler. Now I was like, Oh, it's kind of cool. It's cool. You hold it like that. That's kind of cool. Actually. Um, all right. Around the way, the women European final. Did you watch that? I watched the entire second half. I missed the first half, but I watched okay. the second half an extra time. I watched all that. So how was it? Pretty good. It was good. It was honestly a really good match. Uh, Germany, at least from what I was watching, Germany looked like the better team, like they were going to win it. England mm-hmm. was kind of just desperate, sure. um, but in extra. T- yeah, right. Classic English performance. <laughs> uh but no, it's like in the extra time, I, I don't know if it was the Germans getting tired or what, but England definitely came on stronger in the extra time. And it's like, yeah, it was it was good. It was it was a good game. It was competitive. Um, I guess it was good to see England win something. <laughs> I was going to say now I never want to see England win anything. Uh, <laughs> like, I just don't. I, I think it's, you know, it's like seeing Tottenham win or something. But yeah. um, I was kind of debating like, is it better to not see England win anything or is it better to see the women win before the men win anything? Um, it's pretty hilarious that the women are the first yeah. ones to win it. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Um, I also have some hot takes. Like I saw Ian Dark's quote that was really dramatic. It was like, this flies in the face of anyone that says women can't play football. And I was like, <laughs> I love you, Dude. Dark. But like, uh, they're playing against other women. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, no, no, I was going to say, I, I'm with you there. Like watching the game, there was just a, a lot of that, like over the top girls women, get it done. Girls kind of are stuff. doing girls are doing shit. Like, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. like, don't get me wrong. I, the game was entertaining as hell. I have, you know, personal interest in it. Cause Arsenal ladies is like five of that squad. So, oh, right on. so I, I definitely was rooting for the Arsenal ladies to, to win it. But like, it was pretty ridiculous at times where it was like, as a woman, I would be embarrassed to have them talking like that. <laughs> Right, right. Sometimes it's just so pandering at points. Yeah. yeah. Um, like in Avengers Endgame, when they, they have that classic shot where every single female soldier on the entire epic battlefield against Thanos just yeah. pops up together within five feet of each other and strikes a pose to save the day. It's like, come on, dude, I get it. Um, uh, but uh, that's great. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad 
England got to play in a tournament with no Brazil and no United States women, so they could get <laughs> something for themselves. I didn't even think you about know? that. The other two powerhouses oh, in women's oh, football. It's, yeah, it's totally like it's like the U.S. men winning Concacaf, and everyone in Europe is like, "Who cares? It's Concacaf." Yeah. But like you know, the women's powerhouses are in the Americas. So it's true. That is yeah, true. You know. Um. Anyway. Um. <laughs> Uh, just a funny little headline here. So I have been in my mind grumbling for quite a while about these little shits at football games, holding up signs for players. Please. Oh yeah. It's so annoying because it used to be so fucking cute when a player would just naturally identify a kid in the crowd. And at the end of the game, go and organically give them a shirt. And now there's like a parade of children with like competitively designed signs, begging for shirts. It is really annoying. so annoying dude and you could tell the parents are more involved in it than the yeah. kids half the time um but i kind of you know i'm a grumpy old man but anyway apparently i'm not the only one that thinks that way because ix banned those little shits from bringing those signs in <laughs> <laughs> i love so that that's i love awesome. that yeah they're putting putting a stop to it they're like no more begging for shirts have some fucking self-respect yeah i mean it's outrageous it's gotten to a ridiculous level yeah, we sound so old, but it's true. I mean, you know, it's obviously a minor annoyance in the scheme of things. Yeah. But I applaud IX for that. All right, do you want to talk about uh, the coming weekend? That the season opening kicks off. This, can you believe weekend. the season kicks off this weekend? No, Friday, man. We're almost there. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you something. That? How much do you hate having an open day kickoff? Your first match be a day early? Or do you like it? You get to sneak in a day early. I'll tell you... Um, I would think I like it, but then after last year, getting my asses handed to us on the opening day <laughs> on a Friday and then having to sit around for an extra couple of days waiting, I was just watch happy. everybody else celebrating football all weekends. <laughs> I hated the league being back at that point. <laughs> you have to remind, so oh, it was mad. Brentford, Brentford, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I was, I remember being like, man, that stadium's really sick. Oh, oh shit. They're coming after him. Okay. <laughs> Brentford came storming out the gates last year and we got palace. So it's like, that's not going to be easy. Yeah. Away to, away to palace. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we haven't really made formal predictions for the season, but no. I really like what I see from Vieira's palace. They were fucking tough to beat last year. Yeah. I like that. He seemed like what he brought to that team. They changed drastically under him. They and really they're, did. They're a hard team to play against. And like as positive as I am about Arsenal's preseason, like a way to palace is about as hard as it gets to start the season without having to play one of the big, big three teams. Absolutely. Yeah, that is so real. So it'll be it'll be a tough one. I do think I I'm backing. Obviously, I have to back Arsenal to win it. But I mean, I think I think uh, they're going to be a little upset from last year. Mikel's going to have him fired up. Yeah, I think I think they can squeak it out. Um, do you have any kind of interesting lineup hopes or predictions? Uh, I think our lineup, I feel like it's going to be pretty set. I think we'll definitely see Jesus up top. Um, right. Martinelli probably on the left, probably Saka. Um, there's a couple like some of the new guys are and um, Smith Rowe are still coming back from injury. I think they'll be mm. fit for Friday, but like, I don't expect any of them to make the starting 11. Um, I'll be curious to see if he sticks with Ben White at right back. 
that'll be interesting because he's been playing Saliba, Gabrielle, and White with White playing out to the right. Um, that'll be interesting to see if he continues with that. I'm not expecting anything too crazy, though. I think the lineup's pretty much set right now from gotcha. that last the last game in the preseason, I think is basically going to be the starting 11. Cool. Um, so what's your final score prediction? Ooh, I'm going to go who I'm going to go three, one Arsenal, three, one to the Arsenal going three, one on the road. What? Uh, Gabby Jesus double Saka pops one in. Oof, yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, those are the easiest two to just pick, pick out right away. Um, <laughs> I think Martinelli's going to bag one too. I think Mart. I think he's due one. He was getting a lot of assists in preseason, but I think he wants a goal. Odegaard's looking like he's having some more freedom and fun. Um, I could see him popping up on the end of something. Yeah, he looks super dangerous. And who doesn't love a goal from midfield? Yeah, yeah, we need more yeah. of those, and that's something that he can provide. This episode of Soccer Situations is brought to you by Littlefoot Coffee. I mean, what can I say about Littlefoot Coffee? Um, They're not just friends of the pod, they're family of the pod, quite literally. Um, Alex started Littlefoot years ago after more than a decade of roasting experience, um, roasting coffee for some of the hottest, most fashionable, and uh, most importantly, tasty specialty coffee roasters in America. My favorite thing about it is that it's just really high-grade coffee without a drop of pretense. You're not going to find a bunch of weird, savory notes that the roaster is passing off as intentional. It's just really sweet, comforting flavors that everybody wants in their coffee. And now, for a limited time only, you can get 15% off at littlefootcoffee.com. Promo code situations. Once again, you can get 15% off at littlefootcoffee.com using the promo code situations. Okay, so Liverpool's first fixture actually lands in my favorite slot, the early kickoff on Saturday. Um, Favorite for me personally, because I'm always up at 4am like a freak and just waiting for football during season. Um, (laughs) Not Liverpool's favorite, though. I know we tend to struggle in these fixtures. We hate a lunchtime kickoff. Lunchtime kickoff um, on a Saturday. Yeah, especially down in London. Ugh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, to keep it positive, again, who doesn't love an away trip to the cottage? Yes. Um, and Fulham is traditionally like a pretty, competitively speaking, a pretty pleasant place to go. <laughs> you yeah, know? and in their recent history in the league, it's uh, it's been a nice place to play, at Craven Cottage. And yeah. I like Fulham. Yeah. I, I I like them, but they they uh, haven't had much luck in the staying up. Kind of a yo-yo club. No. Yeah, uh, def- textbook definition yo-yo club. Um, I think we remember a time when they were a little bit more stable. Um, the Hodgson Fulham days, the, the, the Fulham that got him the Liverpool job. If you might yeah. remember, um, like that Bobby's, was a hell of a Bobby's team to watch. Days. Hell yeah. Yeah. That was a great team. Uh, wasn't Brian McBride on that Brian team? McBride, too? Maybe been transitioned to Clint Dempsey a little bit as well. Of course. Yeah. A couple of Americans famously. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, they wouldn't swap us the deuce for Henderson. <laughs> um, that was a deal that tried to happen. Um, yeah, that anyway, yeah. something. 
Fulham versus Liverpool, uh, the 6.30 a.m. Central kickoff. Sorry, that's uh, 5.30 yeah. a.m. Eastern? 7.30. Which way does it go? <laughs> right. That is uh, the 7.30 Eastern kickoff. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I love it. I love Craven Cottage. Fulham, uh, I might regret this, should be an easy win. Um, yeah. I think we got a preview of our team in the Community Shield. Um I think we're going to see good old fashioned Bobby and Mo up front with uh, the new boy, Luis Diaz, who I really think I'm going to love this year. This kid, he, you know, we have a new Uruguayan in the team, Darwin Nunez, but Luis Diaz is reminding me more of Suarez than, than Darwin does. Yeah. He's got that like crazy manic hunger and um, he's not putting him in the net yet. And it, you know, just have like a little too much energy on them, but I think mm. he's going to settle down. I mean, I absolutely love this kid. Like he's exactly the kind of player I love. He, mm, he's technically replacing Sadio, but he might be closer to Firmino in the, in the it's long sad. run. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, he was a, he was a signing that I didn't really know too much about, but just watching Liverpool toward the end of the season with him in the team, he was fun to watch. He brings a yeah. different dimension for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's electric for sure. Um, and um, Jota is still out injured. Um, did sign so a new I deal did, though, right? Did sign a new five-year deal. That's that's pretty great. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. I love me some Diogo. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. I think I think Bobby, uh, Mo, and Luis will kick it off for us. Uh, Henderson, Tiago, and Fabinho in the midfield. Verge, Matip, and and the boys out wide at the back. Um, I guess the only question mark left is whether Allison will be fit, but Klopp sounded pretty confident that he would. Nice. Um, and if all of that is true, I'm going to say 3-0 to Liverpool. I think that's a safe, safe score. Oh, that's cocky, but, you know, I'll take it. Um <laughs> <laughs> So that's the early game Saturday. The late game is is an interesting one too for kind of different reasons. Uh, Everton or Chelsea are visiting Everton, I should say. Yeah. Um, now this is interesting because I think both teams are kind of a hot mess right now. Um, different scales of mess. Um, yeah, very different. I, I have in the notes of Everton's road to relegation. Um, <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, some, you know, highlights such as signing Tarkowski and McNeil, who I've, I heard Dwight McNeil's been great in preseason, but the fact is they're signing players from relegated Burnley now. Um, yeah. wasn't long ago. They had Carlo Ancelotti and we're signing James Rodriguez. Now they're signing relegated Burnley players. That's box ticked. Number one, um, number two is just their kit. Like, first of all, they they have a Hummel kit and like, does anything scream championship like more than Hummel? <laughs> um, Hummel reminds me of like, uh, like they provide like little league uniforms. I yeah, feel like, yeah, you know what I mean? That's, um, That's... those chevrons going down the sleeves is so championship. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they have the steak.com sponsorship, which is just like, so Watford. Um, it's true. So, Everton's mess is pretty complete, like squad wise, uh, image wise, financially. Yeah. Um, but Chelsea aren't in great shape either. 
they're kind of spazzing around the transfer market right now, trying to snag up players. They they haven't been they they got Koulibaly in, yeah, um, and Raheem Sterling, decent signings. Yeah, not not but bad. There's still gaps all over that squad though. Yeah, they seem like they seem like they don't have a vision at all, and I don't know if how involved Tuchel is in that process. If they're letting him get involved in that process, or if he's just at the whim of somebody with a checkbook. But, um, so yeah, Tuchel is clearly not a happy man. You know, after the Arsenal matchup, he accused his his current squad of being unmotivated. Um, yeah. He said we were simply not competitive. The level of commitment physically and mentally was higher, far higher for Arsenal than for us. Um, that's pretty damning. Yeah. Yeah. And it felt it felt that way. It felt like they were coasting in a preseason game without any kind of drive. And Arsenal felt like Arteta like lit a fire under their asses and they were like he like they were all playing to prove a point. Right. And uh, so Tuchel was complaining about his current squad, but also complaining about um, lack of incoming players. He said, uh, players left us. We know that some players are trying to leave us, and this is where it is. We had an urgent appeal for quality players and a huge amount of quality players. We've got two quality players. That is no doubt. But we're not competitive like this. And unfortunately, we can see it today. That is just outright like putting the sword to the new ownership. Yep. Yeah, he's not holding back at all. He's he's letting them know, basically, buy me the players I want or I'll fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's about um, what he dropped on them. He's pretty yeah. savage. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, I mean, I think he's a good manager. I think they'd be smart to back him. But it'll be interesting to see what they do or who, who folds first in that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because their ownership has been, <laughs> I guess for a Russian oligarch, so predictable over the last 20 years, you know? Yeah. Um, unpredictable in the sense that, you know, they would fire a manager at the drop of the hat, but predictable in that they would just mercilessly rebuild the squad every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we don't know if that's, I mean, we're already kind of getting the picture that that's not going to be the case. Yeah, with the new ownership, they're going to be a little yeah. more. I mean, they clearly spent money, but they're going to be maybe a little more tight with how they do it. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, all right. Now, um, since we're talking about Chelsea, I think now is probably a good time to just move on to um, the uh, drug bus situation that I want to talk about this week. Yeah. Drug remember, <laughs> drug was a situation. Damn fucking man. Oh, my God, that guy was such a fucking situation to deal with. I'm going to light a joint for this one. Absolute nightmare to deal with. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to confirm it. Um, We'll just start. We can talk about his entirety of his career, but I I looked it up just before we started just to confirm that he did score the most goals against Arsenal of anybody in the Premier League. He did (laughs) 13 goals he scored against us. Uh, you were his most hated opponent, huh? Yeah, he loved that's, playing against Arsenal. Oh, that's amazing. That was such a good Arsenal team, too. People might kind of roll their eyes at that or like, yeah, yeah, who doesn't love scoring against Arsenal? You know, like Firmino scores against Arsenal all the time, too. But no, 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 no. This it was, was a, a different, different team. Teams. We actually had a decent team at times against him, and he 
could not be stopped. Decent. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Didier Drogba. Oh, man, I didn't bring an ashtray out here. What a dingus. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I just have to use this little dry succulent. <laughs> Don't tell the plant people. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so, Didier Drogba, as Alex and I were kind of just dancing around, I think most of us were introduced to Drogba in 2004 when he signed for Chelsea um, from Marseille for what is now a very, very quaint 24 million pounds. But that was yeah. just a massive, massive transfer fee at the time. Yeah, at the time, yeah, that was huge. Insane. I remember being absolutely stunned when Liverpool spent a similar amount on Torres. I thought that felt impossible. Yeah. Um, now, um, by today's of scouting and development where like every top six squad has teenagers littered throughout it. Drogba was a super late bloomer. Um, I think he was 26 when he went to Chelsea, Um, but definitely in his mid to late twenties when he kind of came onto the world stage, Um, he was no Mbappe. No, and I think because of the type of player he was, made sense that made all, all made sense because he was such he used his physicality more than than most strikers do so like for him to bloom a little bit later makes total sense right um i think it's safe to say um drogba really sparked the Mourinho revolution at chelsea yeah. um you you were saying earlier that he's just an absolute nightmare um what i have here in my notes is that mostly how i remember him um was that he felt invincible Mm-hmm. Um, truly invincible. Like if he wanted to bulldoze any central defender, he was going to bulldoze his way through. He had power, he had like pace and he had skill. Um, and he was so good at just playing like on the edge of like the rules of the game too. Yeah. 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 I'm sure every center back in the league hated him and just feared him to the ultimate level. I mean, he, he felt like as uh, like those those Mourinho years and as like an Arsenal fan, I just felt like any time we played them, it was like most likely you're going into a nil nil and it was inevitable that 70th minute beyond he was going to pop up in the middle of the box somewhere and head in a corner <laughs> or a cross or something. <laughs> just power a goal in and just just win the game for him this squeak it out in the Mourinho way. You know, it's, it's funny. I didn't really get the feeling when I was doing the research to kind of, you know, stoke my memory of Drogba, but just hearing you say that and describe that shit kind of just got my heart right up a little bit just now. So frustrating. <laughs> they were the most Absolutely. frustrating team in the world. And he was the perfect man for that team. Yeah, he really was. He was just infuriating, just riding that line. Um, yeah. And Win, you know, winning he could free play kicks at, and from long winning kicks free and, kicks. Um, he was like shameful, a shameful diver, but so intelligent <laughs> at it. Yeah. Um, not unlike Harry Kane today. Like yeah. I know people get like upset about that, but the way Harry Kane initiates contact with defenders and goes it down draws, yep. and draws. Oh my God. Drogba was all about that. Um, yeah. so good. He was um, great at it. Yeah. Um, he was really like tailor made to be Mourinho's demon 
like mm -hmm. in the his dark materials sense for like these are two <laughs> representations of the same soul. Yeah. Like these motherfuckers are just do win any way you can. Like we have the skill set to win in the cleanest, most, you know, elegant way possible if we want. But fuck yep. that. We're going to just do anything we can. We're just going to, you know, it's just win it all. We're going to wall off. We're going to foul everything. Every time we get a chance, rotational fouling. Kick yes. the ball long up the field and let Drogba take it down and win a free kick. And yep. it's just like oh my God. the most frustrating style of play. And I'm looking at Drogba's numbers and it's funny. His goal tallies weren't always super high in the league. No, anyway. it, but it he, starts like 10, 12, then like 16, I think. Yeah, he jumps up to 20 and then 20. it's got a couple of lower years. And then 09, 10, he had a huge year, but was yeah. was Jose still around at that time? No, no, no. Jose left. Um, yeah, Makes I sense think why his goal tally shot through the roof. Right, and um, and he was bummed. He tried to force a move after Jose left. Um, like I said, they were really made for each other. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, go back to them driving people nuts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Chelsea and even though Liverpool were a less relevant team at the time, um, they kept meeting in the Champions League, Liverpool and Chelsea. Yeah. And Liverpool knocked them out repeatedly. And Jose and Rafa Benitez got this little rivalry going. And they, <laughs> oh my God, Jose just riled Rafa up so much. He was um, master at that. At, at one point, Rafa Benitez was so mad, he announced that he had compiled a four year dossier uh, detailing. Drug buzz diving over the course of four years. <laughs> <laughs> like that's how mad Rafa was. <laughs> He's that's like, I'm hitting so the face. Funny. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking about it, and and Rafa versus Jose was really a lot like Hillary versus Trump. Like it didn't matter. Like Rafa was like, I have a list of facts, and he literally had a list of facts. He was like, science <laughs> is real, and, and, and fucking Jose was like, you're a fucking nerd, and uh, and just won. And everyone literally laughed at Rafa for trying to refer to facts. It's so classic. Oh um, God. And you that know, it was just enraging as a Liverpool fan, but it was super effective. You know. Yep. Um, so effective, you know, uh, Drogba helped Chelsea win the league in its first season. Um, yeah. That was their first title in 50 years. That was um, the debut of the new Chelsea, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the next season, they did it again, back to back. Um, yeah. And then, oh, yeah, here we go. In his third season, Drogba wins the golden boot, 20 goals in the league. That seems yeah. a little quaint by today's standards, too. He, uh, yeah, that's really the year he took off. And um, he was also named African Footballer of the Year that season over teammate Michael Essien, um, who Michael Essien was God at that day, if you don't know. Yeah. Look up some Michael Essien. Um, uh, but we're not talking about Michael Essien. Um, no talking about Drogba, African footballer of the year. And so let's talk a little bit about his time in Africa um, where, you know, he's had a, um, a bigger impact than football. That's not a good way of saying it. Um, <laughs> yeah, his impact extends beyond football, let's say. Yes, very much so. Um, Rewind to uh, October 8th, 2005. Um, this is the tail end of the African qualifying campaign for the 2006 World Cup, uh, which I have in my notes here would actually uh, incidentally go on to be one of my favorite World Cups. That was an awesome one. Yeah, uh, that one had uh, Zidane to Henri, I think. 
that fucking awesome goal against Brazil. Against Brazil? Oh, that yeah, goal that was epic. That was, that was so awesome. Yeah. One of my, like, most vivid uh, World Cup memories, for sure. Yeah. And then, of yeah. course, yeah, yeah, the Zidane headbutt later. Uh, yeah. Anyway. What a World Cup. Um, yeah, so qualifiers. Uh, Cameroon needs to beat Egypt to qualify. They don't beat Egypt, and Ivory Coast goes in their place. Um, it was set up to be dramatic and super dramatic. Uh, Cameroon takes an early lead, I think, in the 20th minute. I didn't put all the stats in my notes. This isn't that kind yeah. of podcast. Um, <laughs> but Egypt equalized late in the 79th minute. Um, and with that, the Ivorians are in. Um, and then four minutes into stoppage time, Cameroon are awarded a super sketchy penalty. And the Ivorians are out. And then... The penalty taker puts it off the post and the Ivory Coast is in um, officially in uh, to World Cup 2006. Um, And the entire country uh, goes absolutely nuts, which is notable because the country had been locked in a civil war since 2002. Divided between um, what I'm going to call two capitals, uh, the capital Abidjan in the south uh, and the rebel held city uh, Buake in the north, uh, both cities celebrating equally. I think I got those pronunciations close enough. Yeah, those are, um, good. Those are good. Um, so the president, Loren uh, Bagbo, uh, controlled the south, and there was a rebel group called the New Forces of Ivory Coast uh, that controlled the northern half of the country. Uh, now, the violence had died down. Um, the war was in kind of a stalemate. But it was picking back up and like on the verge of popping off again when this qualification happened. Um, So the two cities are going wild and it made it all the more poignant when a video comes out of the locker room of the team celebrating it. Um, Just like classic chaotic locker room celebrations. Um, This is available on YouTube and I have seen it, but I wasn't able to find it to like embed. um, Story. Yeah. If. Take a look around. Maybe we can find it and put it up. Um, but anyway, Drogba kind of comes to center stage. Um, and and this is a direct quote. Men and women of the Ivory Coast from north, south, center, and west, we proved today that all Ivorians can coexist and play together with a shared aim to qualify for the World Cup. Um, at this point, his teammates are kind of gathering around him for the camera. Um we promised you that the celebrations would unite the people. And today we beg you on our knees. And with that, the whole team gets down on their knees. Um, the one country in Africa with so many riches must not descend into war. Please lay down your weapons and hold elections. Um, pretty powerful stuff. Um, and what's interesting about this, this is 2005, remember, and this clip went viral as hell. Uh, I remember seeing this everywhere in 2005. And again, I was a much more casual fan then. I was watching, you know, but not like I am now. Um, yeah, I wasn't no, on not Facebook. never missing a game or reading this the was, news. Well, every this second. was global news in major outlets. Um, and um, it actually forced both sides to the no- negotiating table and a ceasefire was signed, um, which is pretty fucking amazing. Um and yeah, of course, I mean, what a story. It's an incredible story. Uh, that's the fairy tale version of the story. Um, unfortunately, it's not the end. So the Ivory Coast makes its World Cup debut and they, they 
they make a respectable debut. Um, they were in a group with Netherlands and Argentina, so they were kind of fucked from the start. Uh, but they did beat Serbia, Montenegro on their way out um, and looked pretty good. Now, fast forward one year after the tournament, uh, Drogba is is not done with this shit. Now he's African Footballer of the Year, and he's at home touring uh, touring the Ivory Coast, um, celebrating the win. And on this little sort of publicity tour, he makes a surprise announcement that the team's uh, next match versus Madagascar would not be held in Abidjan as planned, but would be held in Buake, uh, the rebel stronghold or the rebel capital, if you will. Um, It's not been verified, but it's generally known that Drogba did not ask permission from the president to make this announcement. despite being from the president's territory uh, yeah. himself. So they uh, they gather in a caravan with a military escort, drive up to Boake, um, and just absolutely destroy Madagascar, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> run out 5-0. Uh, Drogba himself bags the final goal. Uh, rebel troops and government troops um, chanting soccer chants at each other in the stadium. Um a real sense of unity. Um, and it did last for a while. Um, not until, uh, sadly five years later, uh, the war did ignite again. Um, and you know, I mean, what can you say about that? I'm not going to pretend yeah. that this is, uh, I have the knowledge of African politics to really dive into the nuances of the Ivorian civil war. Yeah. Um, this is about Drogba and everything they did to briefly bring peace to that country. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, like the, football's not magic. Like that. It's no. not magic, but it does have power. This is a testament to the power. Um, yeah. You know. Um, oh, I wanted to give at the top, um, I want to attribute some... Um, In telling this story, I did reference a BBC article by Olivier Guiberteau um, and Wikipedia. Nice. Um, and to end, I will directly quote BBC's Olivier Guiberteau, um, who was at the Madagascar match. Um, Drogba and his teammates did not single-handedly stop the civil war, but over the course of two football matches, they did at least give their beleaguered country a reason to hope. And, you know, I guess that's where, that's all we can do in this world, right? Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Um, And that's the story of Didier Drogba and uh, the Ivorian civil war. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, it sounds like a fairy tale. I don't know what it else. Does. About it does. It. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who hate on, hate on sports as a thing, as a, a, you know, they just hate the idea of sport, whether they're like only interaction is with like meatheads who, you know, are just like all about, you know, just screaming in your face and saying stupid shit. But like, Sport, you cannot deny the value of sport. Like it just it's been proven so many times throughout history to like just bring people that can unite over something so small. It's true. And that's why I want this to very much be a storytelling podcast as a big component of it, because it's frustrating 
knowing the crazy drama that surrounds this game constantly. Um, and people just kind of brush it off as, you know, uh, hashtag sports ball, you know, yeah, like, exactly. how many hipster friends have you heard say the word sports ball? Yeah. They're just like so arrogant and they're like making a persona out of hating sports. And it's like, yeah. And then the world cup rolls around every four years and they fucking it's fashionable. And so they get really into the drama and you're like, you know, this goes on constantly. <laughs> you know, this drama never stops. Never, ever, <laughs> never stops. stops. You pull up BBC, you pull up sky sports, then never ends. Right. And it's the best. It's the best. It's the ultimate drama. I love it. I think I've eased a little bit on my like summer madness where I just refresh my page over and over again every morning. Yeah. But there's and also I think part of that is just Arsenal be having a little more faith in the Arsenal hierarchy to get shit done. <laughs> you know what I was going to say, Alex, is I lost interest in transfers when Liverpool started getting it right so consistently that yeah. I can just tr I can just trust FSG now. Like yeah. we just signed some fucking Scottish kid right back, you know, again. And I'm like, I don't know who that is, but I'm sure he's going to be awesome. He's going to be good. You know, like he's the guy. Yep. He's probably the guy. Yeah. Um, It feels so good. It's nice. You know, it's nice. I mean, we yeah. are. And the, you know, we spent a lot we spent the most money so far. And I think, uh, I don't think it's done. I think there's a potential of a right winger coming in and another midfielder. And I don't think like cheap, cheap, like, uh, you know, for the future either. I think there's like, they're looking to Real spend, guys. spend, uh, on some guys that can fit right into that 11 first team players. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. I don't think that's, they're fucking around anymore. That's excited. I um, love a winger. Giving yeah. up on Pepe? I think so, which just bums me out really much. Like I, I really wanted Pepe to succeed. Um, I still want him to, but I do think they're I think if they can get a bid for him, they'll offload him. Mm -hmm. Um it's a shame. Speaking of Ivory Coast, I've always been a fan of the Ivory Coast, the African players. So Oh my god, that that team we talked about with Drogba was so stacked. So good. The Torre brothers, Emmanuel yeah. Abue. Emmanuel Bue dancing his way into yeah. people's hearts. Didier Zakora. Oh, yeah, yeah, they have cool players, definitely. They have super cool players. But yeah, I was think... Uh, Solomon Kalou, was he Ivorian? I think Kalou was Ivorian, was too. Was he French? Yeah. One or the other. Yeah. I mean, those Frenchies steal all the African players, so you never know. Exactly, yeah. Fucking colonizers. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Look at the French <laughs> national team, dude. Oh, my God. They're all African. <laughs> They're all African, for sure. There's, like, two and fucking French, like, white dudes on that team. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and it's hilarious. Sucks. <laughs> uh...
soccer situation. Situation.